Okay, guys, do you know what next week is? Next week's Sunday? Yeah. What is it? What is it? No, it's Christmas Day. But you know what the Saturday before next Sunday is? You had it right, Christmas Eve. Right, yeah, Christmas Eve. So I brought along one of my favorite Christmas gifts. My dear wife got me this. You know what it is? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a briefcase, right? And it's, believe it or not, made out of wood. (laughs) Yeah, it's made out of wood. And it's a thin line. It's about an inch and a half thick. And I love it, but not much fits in it. So what do you think is in here? Yeah? I'll show you what, what is in here. It's not a lot fits, but the one thing that, that I really love to put in my suitcase is my bowling ball. That's kind of weird that this bowling ball fits in this suitcase, isn't it? You know, once, once a lady said, I saw what you did. It was up your sleeve. <laughs> well, the, uh, the point that I want to make is as impossible as it seems that this bowling ball could fit in this suitcase, that's a trick, right? But Christmas is about the God who created the universe and created you and created me. That God became a baby and fit in a manger. God was born a baby and laid in a manger. And we're going to talk about why he came in just a minute. But now you guys can go with Miss Ashley. And thanks for putting up with my bowling ball trick. All right. Let's see. It'd be wrong to put this in here. All right. Well, wasn't, wasn't that great? Let's give them another big hand for, man. A lot of great effort went into proclaiming the gospel. Praise God. So I'm going to read Matthew's version of the Christmas story. And, you know, every year when I study the text, the Christmas story, I say, God, show me something that maybe I've missed before. And um, this time, as I was reading through Matthew's version, I realized that one word jumped out three times. And uh, you know what? When a preacher sees something three times, you know there's a sermon outline involved in that, right? But I, I saw the word worship or worshiped. Three times in Matthew's version of the 
the Christmas story. So let's, let's uh, see if we can see it as we read through. Matthew 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So I'm going to call these these wise men, and we don't know if there were three or four or 12 or two. The reason we think there were three is because there were three gifts, but there could have been a lot more. But these are what I'm going to call seeking worshipers. They haven't found the Messiah yet. Maybe some of you here this morning are seeking. You're wondering, God, are you real? Is this Jesus real? Right? So they, they are seeking worshipers. They want to find the true God, but they haven't found him yet. Okay? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, oh, we're back up. This is my second trick. Thank you very much. <laughs> the disappearing sermon. <laughs> Some of you are like, do that one every week, the disappearing sermon. <laughs> all right. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. So, so they gathered all the scholars, the Bible scholars, and they looked at all the Old Testament scrolls. And in the book of Micah, they said, well, it tells us, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. That was written five, six hundred years before Jesus was born. So go to Bethlehem, they were told. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So here we have Herod, who says, Oh, yeah, yeah, tell me when you find him, because I too want to worship him. This is sham worship. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. But then we go on. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now they've finally found what, what they've been looking for, to quote you too, right? Um, they found Jesus, and they were now satisfied worshipers. So there's my, my little outline. We want to look at seeking worshipers, sham worshipers, and satisfied worshipers. So first of all, seeking worshipers. Oh, by the way, <laughs> Here's the last verse. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So that's why you usually see three 
wise men. They have three gifts, but could have been more or less. Okay. So what, what about these seeking worshipers? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, who are these wise men? The, the technical term is magi. Right? And, and those who know about these things, who, who study the Bible, tell us that these were probably uh, priests of a religion called Zoroastrianism. It comes from Persia, current day Iran and Iraq. And their brand of Zoroastrianism involved a mixture of truth and error. They studied ancient writings, including the Hebrew scriptures, but they also were into astrology, not astronomy. Astronomy is the scientific study of the stars. Astrology is, oh, the stars are going to tell us the future. Okay? They also did dream interpretation and occultic magic, all jumbled up in a mixture of some truth, some error, some seeking after the one true God, some occultic activity. These guys were the closest things to a wizard that you could find. You know, like Gondolf or whatever. Who's the guy in Harry Potter? Good, you don't know either. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, Harry's a wizard, that wizard child. The only wizard I remember is Wizzo from Bozo. How many of you are with me on that? Okay, yeah. You know, he lived in Geneva, right behind the Starbucks, yeah. Marshall Brodeen. But I, dig I digress here, okay. Now, these wise men seem to have one thing that most wizards didn't have. They have an obsession with seeking the true God. See, a lot of people caught up in that bizarre occultic world, they're in it not for truth, but for power. They just want to use whatever powers they can find, wherever these powers come from, for their advantage. But these guys had something in their heart that, that drew them to want to know the true God and to know the truth. And they were willing to travel, so they, they, they probably are, are from this area here, and it, it's not a straight shot across the desert because a camel can't hold water that long, so they probably went up north and then came down the coast, and that would be uh, well over a thousand miles. It may have taken years as they're following this very vague GPS star, right? But it takes them to Jerusalem, to the scriptures. The scriptures then point them to Bethlehem where they find Jesus. Now, um, how did these seeker wise men make a connection between a star and the Jewish Messiah? Well, we don't know for sure. I mean, maybe God just spoke to them. Okay. But there's a, a very possible scenario 
that goes along the lines of this. 600 years earlier, you remember the Babylonians came in and destroyed Israel and they took captives back to Babylon. And one of those captives was Daniel. And Daniel probably had the the scriptures with him. We know he studied the book of Jeremiah, right? So he had the scriptures with him. And Daniel was being trained to be a wise man. And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream that he couldn't interpret. It was a dream of a statue with a head of gold, arms of silver, bronze waist, and iron uh, iron legs. And he was troubled. He didn't know what this meant. So he called in all the wise men. And he said, all right, tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they said, all right, tell us the dream. He goes, no, no, you're stalling. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they go, that's impossible. And he's ready to kill him. And then they go, wait, 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 there's a guy named Daniel. He could probably pull this off. And Daniel is brought in and he says, my God, the Jewish God, has given me what your dream is and the interpretation. And he goes on and he says, you're the head of gold. Babylon is, is the head of gold. But there's an empire coming after you, the Medes and the Persians, who will, will be the next world power. Then Greece will be the next power. Then Rome will be the next power. And the king said, that is amazing. And he put Daniel in charge of all the wise men. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. How's that for a promotion? All right, you're now in charge of the world, pretty much. But he's over these wise men. Now, they would have been interested in the Hebrew Scriptures. And I'm sure he gave them the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, what in the Scriptures would they be interested in? Well, they would be interested in anything about prophecy, predictions of the future. They would be interested in anything about kings, right, world rulers, and anything about the stars, right? So, and this is speculation, but there are two prophecies that they would have been very intrigued about. First of all, all the way in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he has 12 sons, and he's giving a prophecy for each of his sons. And when he speaks to Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. What's a scepter? It's the king's staff, right? So the king's staff will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. So a a line of kings is going to come from you, Judah, but there's one he, one super king to whom it really belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Judah, from you will come a line of Jewish kings. But one of those kings will be the king of the world. I'm sure they thought, we are after that king. Right? Book of Numbers. 
This is another uh, really interesting prophecy. Israel was ready to go into the promised land, and they passed through the land of Moab, and the Moabites hated them, but they couldn't fight them. So you know what they did? The king goes to a, a false prophet named Balaam, and he basically hires Balaam to curse Israel. But all that can come out of Balaam's mouth is blessing. And a prophecy comes out of his mouth, and it says this, I see him, is it the, is it the him, is it the he up here? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. So I see a person, but he's not near. This is going to be a couple thousand years in the future, right? A star will come out of Jacob, will come out of Israel, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So, I, I don't know how they pieced it all together, but they got the idea that a worldwide king who comes out of Israel is somehow connected to a star, and it got these people's attention when that star appeared and they followed it, hoping that it would lead them to this king. And it did. Right? Now, some people might read this and go, well, you see, that proves that all religions are true. No, no. What it shows is that God loves people enough that he gets their attention in whatever mixed-up world they're in, and draws them out of error into truth. Remember, they're drawn by the star to Jerusalem where they open the Scriptures. And then the Scriptures point them to Bethlehem. Right? He didn't leave them in their occultic religion. He got their attention there but led them to the scriptures, which led them to the Savior, right? Now, one more lesson from these, these seekers. I always find their willingness to put it all on the line, to seek after this vague star, to find the true God, I always find that amazing compared to the apathy of Israel. I mean, Israel is awash in the light of God's word. Yet, did you notice nobody went with them? We, we don't want to be inconvenienced. And by the way, Bethlehem was just 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Right? How about you? Are you more like these wise men? Willing to seek with all your heart, whatever the cost, whatever the price? Or are you more like the people of Israel? I don't really want my comfortable life to be inconvenienced. Kind of a funny thing. I, for Christmas, I usually buy a book and give it to different people. And do you know what the number one book this year is? 
uh, Christianity Today and, and uh, Gospel Coalition. Number one book, anybody know? It's called Defeating Apathy. I was going to get it, but I don't really care. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to give that out to people. And then I realize, oh, no, they're going to think I'm calling them apathetic. <laughs> but there is, I don't know if you've noticed it, I think ever since COVID hit us, there's just been kind of a blah, a blah when it comes to spiritual things. And I think these wise men challenge that apathy. Here's a, here's a promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are you seeking? Now, not, not are you seeking to find a church or an author or a, 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 somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. Are you seeking the true God and the true truth, no matter the cost. All right? So first, we see these seeking hearts. Let's move on now to uh, sham worshipers. And we're going to talk about Mr. Herod. Now, Herod, he was the king over that region. So he, he could legitimately be called the king of Israel. Okay? Now, he was a real prize. Um, he built Israel with, with all these magnificent, magnificent structures and uh, coliseums and um, the temple itself, a multi-billion dollar temple he builds for the Jews. But he was crazy. He was insanely uh, zealous and jealous to protect his throne. And if he detected that somebody was after him, he would have them killed. He killed a number of his own sons. He had several wives, but one of them was this beautiful wife. He was obsessed with her beauty. But he, he, he also was paranoid that she was cheating on him. What's that song, When You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman? <laughs> right? So you know what he did? He killed her. So when it says, when King Herod heard this, that, that they're looking for the king of Israel, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. I, I would think when the crazy paranoid man who kills his own wife hears a threat to the throne and he's disturbed, everybody else is on edge. Right? So he, he says, who's this new king? And he calls the scholars, calls up Jerusalem, Moody Bible scholars, and he says, where, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They look in, in the scriptures and they go, oh, here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem. You go down the street, turn left by the, uh, the tree, and uh, there's, there's Bethlehem. Can't miss it. So, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and 
worship him. Do you know that there are millions of people who say, yeah, I, I'll go to church, I'll go uh, here, I'll go there, I want to worship God. But their hearts aren't true. Listen, every heart is either like the wise men, truly seeking the true God, or like Herod, having an alternative, uh, ulterior motive. Right? Now, Herod's motive was not to worship Jesus, but to protect his throne. Now, let me, let me show you a little something with this stool. Um, stool represents two, two things. You've got to get them straight. Two different things. Um, when, when I ask people, when I, I get... When people say, hey, tell me about Jesus and tell me what it is you preach and I want to find out where they are, there's two important questions. First question is, if you were to die and stand before God right now and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Now, if they say something like, well, I'm a pretty good person, or, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm better than my brother-in-law. Or, I'm better than those guys at work. I'm not that bad. It tells me they don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is this. You're not good enough to get into heaven. None of us is. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And step one is to realize your utter helplessness and hopelessness and and to be removed, to have have any self-confidence that you can stand before God with your own record to have that eliminated. You say, well, how, how how do you get into heaven? That's why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross to pay for your sins. The gospel is all about substitution. It's not about you. It's it's not about him being your coach to make you better. He does make you better. But it's about him dying in your place and living in your place. So, here is the first little test. Some people, now, now if this is Jesus, if this stool is Jesus, here's some people's plan of salvation. Yeah. Jesus, he's my, my, my advisor, my coach. And then he gave that Sermon on the Mount. A lot of good things in there. I'm going to try to live by that. That's not the gospel. Other people are sitting and resting kind of on Jesus, but they're not trusting him fully. So their answer is, why should I let you into heaven? Well, because I believe in Jesus and I'm pretty good. Salvation is about, I'm not trusting in myself at all. I have no basis for getting into heaven. Jesus paid it all, and I am totally trusting in him. So, so which one are you? This one? This one? Or this one? 
Okay? And it's hard to be this one. It's humbling to be this one because you have to admit you're really not that good a person. Right? Now, that's question number one. And the, and the stool represents, by the way, I came in here this morning and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the bowling ball trick and I'm going to sit on the stool and the stool was up here uh, on stage and then I sat down and it's like the stool was gone. <laughs> it was in the back room. So I had to get up and go downstairs and I found the stool. All right. So the first question, the first issue is um, if Jesus is the stool, am I trusting in him and him alone? Now, Stool represents something totally different here. The stool now represents the throne of your heart. Every one of us, as we are born into this world, we, in our sinfulness, sit on the throne of our heart. We say, I am the center of the universe. It's all about me. Then, when you hear the gospel, that Jesus came to die for you, and you hear that he is the Savior, your Savior, and your Lord, here's what the wise men did. When they found Jesus, they got off their own thrones, they bowed down and worshipped him. Herod said, yeah, I'll go worship him. But I have no intention of getting off the throne of my life. Right? Which one are you? Have you surrendered the throne of your life? And, and you know what? It's scary. But how's it going running your own life? Can you trust him? He created you. He died for you. My prayer is that many this morning would take this position and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Okay. So, Herod, he represents the sham worshipers. One last thing, and we're going to see the wise men again, but now this time they've found what they are looking for. And going to the house, into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, I, I looked at that word, fell. So, some translations say they bowed down, but really the better word is they fell down. All right? Now, how much they understood of who he is and how he's going to save the world and uh, the union of God. and I, I don't know that they, they had much theology at that point. I don't know how much theology the thief on the cross had when he believed in Jesus and was saved. 
But I do know they didn't just gently kneel. Um, it was almost an involuntary response. They fell down in joy. The verse before says, in joy they did this. Right? It's not a, I have to. It's a, I can't help but, because I have found the reason for living. I have found the reason I was created. And those of you who know Jesus, you know, life doesn't magically transform into a bed of, of roses. But you know there is nothing more satisfying than knowing Jesus. Amen. Right? And, and, and I pray that you, you would, would seek him and find him and abandon yourself to him. Right? Now, one last thing. Something interesting about those, I, I, I was kind of taken by this concept of falling down, falling down. And I looked at a number of, of people in the Gospels who fell at Jesus' feet. And you know what I discovered? Most of them are outsiders, outcasts, okay? The wise men, they're not from Israel. They're from pagan land. And when they find Jesus, they fall down and worship him, right? In Luke 7, we read about a woman, and all we're told is she is a sinful woman of the city. I think we know what that means, right? Yet she's forgiven, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she washes his feet with her tears and her hair. She's an outsider. She wasn't, she, Jesus was at a, 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 a party being put on by a Pharisee and lots of religious people. And here comes this outsider who finds Jesus and forgiveness and falls at his feet. In Luke's gospel, there are 10 lepers. Lepers are outcasts because their skin, it's contagious, and uh, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, right? And Jesus heals them, and they go away, and we're told one comes back and falls at the feet of Jesus to say thank you. And then, this is just thrown in there, and he was a Samaritan, not only an outcast with his leprosy, but an outcast from Israel, because Samaritans and Jews did not get along. But it's the outsider who is not familiar with the grace of God. You see, insiders can take the grace of God for granted. We're the only people who can sing amazing grace and end with a yawn. Right? Jesus goes up to Sidon in Tyre which is uh, north of Israel. And um, a woman who has a daughter with a demon, a, a demon possessing her runs up to Jesus and falls at his feet. Will you heal my daughter? Again, outsiders, outsiders, outsiders. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like an outsider. Oh, if you only knew my past. I'm too sinful. I'm too broken. I'm not an insider. Jesus loves outsiders. 
Why did, why did all the kids and all the musicians put on that great, I don't know, what would he call it, worship? Because they want to proclaim that God has come to earth as a baby. Why did he come? To die on the cross, to pay for your sins. Come, trust in him. You go, how do I get what he did for me? You, you trust in him with all your heart and receive and believe that what he promises is true, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you place that heart trust in him, your sins are forgiven. You're adopted into his family. You're promised eternal life. And that's some pretty good news, don't you think? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate this morning. We celebrate that you came to earth. You solved our greatest problem, our sin problem. You died. You rose. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open hearts Maybe there are those who have been insiders, but they haven't opened their hearts. And those are, there are those who are outsiders, and they just can't believe it's, it's possible. But Lord, Holy, Holy Spirit, open hearts, and I pray that there would be true belief, true seeking, and true finding of you this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.